Okay, you can turn to John chapter 19. Wow. So John chapter 19, verse 30 is the scripture that we're going to focus on. Um, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible, and then I'll read it out of the Passion, and I'll explain why. Um, yeah, this has been sitting on my heart for quite a while, and Finney just touched on it in the conference, and as he spoke about this, something just leapt in my heart, and I thought, man, this is what the Lord's been like preparing in my heart for the last couple of weeks. So John chapter 19, verse 30, I'm reading from the Amplified. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and voluntarily gave up his spirit. In the Passion Translation, this is how it's worded. It says, when he had sipped the sour wine, he said, it is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. Now, most people in this room, as far as I can tell, I know almost all of you. And I think you know the story. You know that Jesus was whipped and he was brutally beaten. And, um, and he did it because we deserved it and he took our place. And he did it so that we could have a relationship with the Lord and he removed our sins. He didn't just uh, c- cover them or just for a moment kind of deal with them so that he could just chat to us. But he removed them so that we could live in unbroken relationship with God forever. This, this house, I think we've preached that message almost every second or third week <laughs> because it's, it's, it's everything. We are, he paid a price for us to live in an unbroken relationship with him. But I want to add something to that sentence, which is vital to what we're going to talk about today. Jesus paid the price for you to live in unbroken relationship with God in the context of family. So... He died for you to have unbroken fellowship, communion, union with Him, relationship with Him in the context of family. Why I say that is because that seems to be the language and the model of everything that Jesus talks about. And when He talks about His church, He talks about the body of Christ, the family, the household, and He talks about the bride of Christ. And um, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about that, and I realized something so incredible a couple of weeks ago, and then Finney mentioned it. In this scripture, John chapter 19, verse 30, that word, it is finished, in the um, Aramaic, I think it's Aramaic or the, the Hebrew, the word is kalah, and kalah actually means uh, fulfilled or completed, made perfect, but that word, that example of, of completion and perfection is used in relation to a bride, only. And so it's, it's interesting that he takes the word, it is finished, and he uses the specific word, kalah, which is to talk about how you would describe a bride when she gets married, that she's perfect and complete and beautiful and radiant and fulfilled. And so when Jesus says, it is finished, he's not just saying, I finally did it, I paid the price, you know, you, you're finally removed of all your sin, it is finished, it's exhausting. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, it is finished, you're completed, you're fulfilled, and this is what's so beautiful. In that exact moment when he's hanging on the cross and he says that, I, I picture it like this. I think he saw what he always designed us to be because he had finally completed and fulfilled the work that needed to be done for us to be the bride that he always wanted. And so when he said, it is finished, what he was saying is, my bride will forever be one with me. They will forever be perfect. They will be forever complete and whole and beautiful. It wasn't just, it is finished. Thank God, I've just gone through all this terrible stuff, but it's done now. You're okay. You're going to go to heaven. 
That's part of the thing. But what he was saying is, it is finished, my bride. Welcome home. Welcome to what I created you for from the very beginning. Nothing will ever change the way that I see you or feel about you, not just individually, but actually as a community. And so Jesus, it's very important that we understand this, that he did not just die for your individual relationship with God. It's part of it, and it's beautiful. But he died for his bride. Relationship with Jesus outside of the context of family is very hindered and limited. Because you won't know how to relate to him if you're not in a family. Let me ask you this question. Jesus seems to talk about the church as his bride, and then he creates us as his people in a way that we can actually share an expression and an experience of a bride and a husband, a wife and a husband. And so we have this thing where we get married. And it's interesting that we were just created that way. From the very beginning, God designed us to share in that experience. And I think it's the same thing when you have kids. God creates you with the ability to have family to teach you how to relate to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So your wife and your husband, that relationship was actually not even designed for each other or for you. It was designed for him. And you'll find complete fulfillment and enjoyment in that when it's in Jesus because it's actually a training ground. It's like you're learning how to have relationship with him. If you didn't have kids, how would you know how to relate to a father? If you never had a father, how would you even know what a father is? Regardless on your experience of whether they're, they were good dads or not, you know, whatever it is, the, the principle and the concept of family is actually the context of what Jesus died for. Does that make sense? It's very important that you understand that because here's what I want to talk about. I'll give you the title, bro, straight away. Uh, I want to talk about dying to love. And um, whew, that really gets me when I say that every time. What I love is that we, Jesus died for us to come into this complete work in him. He died for us to walk in fullness. We, we're really good at separating what we were saved from and what we were saved into, but they're not separate. They're one thing. You come saved from something, never again to even consider or look back to that, and you come into something new. And I think we've got really good at preaching what we were saved from, and so we have a Good Friday service where we really do... Uh, go after like, man, thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from my sins. And absolutely, that is so beautiful and wild, but there is so much more. And I feel like as the bride, that's what we're going into now, is realizing that actually there is a life in him that we're called to live. And, and last night when I was just spending time with the Lord, I was trying to prepare a sermon. I don't know why I always do this. I try and prepare a sermon and he just messes me up. Um, but he was meeting with me in the night and he was talking to me about his bride. And uh, I want to share a couple of things that he said, because this is what he paid for. He said, the bride of the nations is extraordinary, Connor. She is beautiful beyond compare. Every laid down life is like another layer of fine linen sewn and woven together. I'm in awe of her sound. I long for her songs of adoration. My heart is moved in a violent manner of fierce love for her. Because my joy is her existence. My satisfaction is her devotion. I love to love her, and I love to be loved by her. Her heart is free because her blood is mine. Her name is pure because she was formed by the divine. I am who I am. She is the mystery of my heart. 
It is impossible to discover or know my heart until you behold the bride through my eyes. And I, something like this came out of my mouth. I said, Lord, may my heart always be moved by you the way your heart is moved by me. And uh, that's when he spoke to me and he said, love is always a response. Love is always expressed through a response. Think about that for a second. If you want to know love, there is a response, which is the way that you experience love. If I have love in my heart for my parents, the way that I respond to that demonstrates that my love for them. They can only know my love if I respond to what's inside. And so Jesus began to show me this. And what I want to share this morning is, what does your life look like? What is the response of your life to this love? Because he, was, he responded first, and he was prepared to come and pay the price that he did to get beaten, to get whipped. To, I mean, you know the story. Everything that he went through was a response to demonstrate his love and to bring you into that union and communion with him where you can live in that oneness. And there is a response from the bride that he is looking for and that he is longing for. Love is a response. I know this sounds real simple, but I feel like it just, it needs to become real in our heart. What, the life that you're living, is it a response of love to Jesus? Because he was prepared to lay everything down, he gave it all, and, and that's supposed to be the response of love. True love is him, he is love. So when, now, when I've experienced him and I've received him, and I now live my life, what is the response of my life to Jesus? Because like I just said in the beginning, he didn't die for Good Friday services. He didn't die for a Sunday morning two-hour get-together. He didn't die for that. And if, if you understand the church only in the context of a service, then you don't know the church at all. Because the church is the body of Christ, it's the bride of Christ, it is every individual laid down lover coming together to create something beautiful, it's the family of God. And so my relationship with the Lord, it's so beautiful and unique and the expression of God in me, it doesn't have to look like anyone else and I can hear him in my own way and we have this beautiful thing, but that without the context of family will never come to its full expression. It will never truly be what it was always designed to be. Because do you know that your relationship with God blesses me, encourages me, and builds me up? I know this is not a typical Good Friday service, but I'm sharing it because he died for something more than just you coming here and saying, thank you for my ticket to heaven. He died for something more than you coming here and just going, thank you, Jesus. Wow, incredible price that you paid. I'm so grateful. But actually, you know, life's really hard and I can't wait for you to come and fetch me because I just want to get out of this place. You, you were called to rule and reign. You were called to demonstrate the same love that he demonstrated. Now I want to show you another scripture. Um, go to 2 Corinthians. Is this okay? Is everyone all right? Cool. Two Corinthians chapter four. I'm going to read from verse seven, but verse 10 is the one that I, I want to highlight. Um, but I'll read from verse seven. I'm reading from the Amplified. But we have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation, in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty, so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness um, of, the, of the power will be shown to be from God, His sufficiency, and not from ourselves. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed 
perplexed, unsure of finding a way out, but not driven to despair, hunted down and persecuted, but not deserted to stand alone, struck down, but never destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the resurrection life of Jesus may be shown in our body. And uh, I was reading that and something just jumped out at me and I realized that we're not just called to carry the resurrection life of Jesus, but we also carry the death of Jesus. And the reason why we carry the death of Jesus is because that is the response of love. Jesus' response of love to his bride was, I will lay down my life for you. I will not do what's beneficial just to me, but I'll actually lay everything down so that you can come into a true expression of love. In order for us to walk in the power of what it means to be the bride and the resurrection life and power of Jesus, we have to understand what it means to carry his death. When Jesus said, pick up your cross, what was he talking about? He wasn't just talking about, you know, hey, you need to make sure that you are in suffering 24-7, 365. Suffering will come, but what he was saying is, pick up the attitude of love, pick up the response of love that I will lay my life down so that others might know this love. That is the response of the gospel. That's what Jesus died for, because in the rest of the book, you need to read it. Isn't it interesting that Paul seems to be teaching the bride what the response of love looks like? And every time they come out of that, he says, you need to go back to Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. This is how we live in him. This is the response of love. And I feel like the encouragement this morning is to say to you, you can come here and I can give you a, honestly, this, the, the, the death of Jesus is my favorite topic to preach on because I can preach my guts out and I can sweat and pop veins and go crazy because it's the most exciting, most outrageous thing I've ever heard in my life. But if you don't know why he did it, in its full understanding, it means nothing to you other than an hour and a half of feeling good. Because you will go home and life will happen and things are gonna happen. You wake up tomorrow and the next day, maybe you know the next couple of days are gonna be great because it's weekend and we get to rest. But eventually you'll be back at work and life will happen and things get difficult. And who are you in that space? What is the response of your life in the midst of when the world begins to squeeze you? And so my heart is, when Jesus said, it is finished, my bride, what he was saying is, I've paid the price for you to walk in completion, perfection, it's fulfilled, it's done. And now that was the beginning of life in him. And we've got to make sure that we just don't get stuck there and saying, thank the Lord that he finished it now. I can't wait for him to take me home. No, I'm ready now to walk in what he paid for. Love has to be the response of my life. No greater love than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. What does that mean? It means that the position of my life, the posture of my heart, is that I will choose to die so that you can live. And every day it means that I'll put you before me because that's the response of love. I, um, I had... I had that encounter that I shared about um, on last Sunday where Jesus came into my bedroom in my dream and he sat across the bed from me and he taught me a song, the song of the bride. Most beautiful encounter I think I've ever had in my life. First time I ever heard Jesus sing to me. And he's, he's beautiful. But it's amazing that when you're with Jesus, he provokes a response. You are moved by him. You cannot come away from being with Jesus and stay the same. You cannot come away and be stirred and be moved for more. And that's why I had that prayer last night. Lord, would you move 
would my heart be moved for you the way that your heart is moved for me? Because when, when that intimacy is shared, we become a dynamic, powerful people. And we're shifting into a time now where the bride is going to realize who she is, and we're going to begin to live that way, and it doesn't look like services. It doesn't look like services. I don't know if you, you and your family have services. Do you guys get together and have services, and that's the time that you kind of chat? No, you don't. You live together. You do life together. You love each other. And it's, it's amazing that in that context of family, there is so much that goes on. It's messy. It's not perfect. There's a lot of hurt sometimes. Sometimes there's frustration. You can be offended. But what's the response of your life to that person? You choose to love them. That's the training ground for the bride. And so we're going to shatter the mindset of services, and we're going to come back to actually what it means to be the bride, what it means to love each other, because Jesus said, it is finished, my bride. I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my life building something that he's not building. I don't want to waste my life uh, building a self-empire that's going to collapse and crumble, and I'm going to stand before him one day, and he's going to say, what did you do with me? Did you learn to love? That's what he's going to ask, because that's what he paid for. And I look, at, I look at his life and I go, Lord, I, I want to live my life carrying the death of Jesus so that I can also carry the life of Jesus. What that means is that everywhere that I go, I, I choose to die so that I might live. I choose not to live for myself, but to live for others. I choose to lay it all down so that Jesus can be glorified. And do you know that your laid down life is like another layer of fine linen sewn into the the dress of the bride. That your little laid down life, you can think, well, what, is, what, what can my life do? I think it was Debbie Greaves, she had something, she said, um, uh, what difference can I make, said 7.6 billion people. Isn't that interesting? If we, if, as a church, if we actually realize my little laid down life is so important, and when it comes together in the context of family, and we all begin to live this beautiful love affair and romance with Jesus, it becomes incredibly powerful and it does make a difference. I think the shift that's coming is, and I felt it this morning, the shift that's coming is not gathering together just to go through the routine. We've been so trained by services, you see, we have a service mentality when we come together. God's removing all of that. You know, if, if I was to gather you together, you know, in the botanical gardens, would we have as much of a fiery, wild time of worship? Would it be as loud? Would it be as beautiful? And Because there's something more than just this building. It's something that Jesus paid for, and it's the bride. Does this make sense? And so my heart is, I just pray this morning that you would catch a revelation. It's a very simple word. I just felt to encourage you. But my heart is that you would catch a revelation of what Jesus paid for, that it's not just your ticket to heaven, but that you belong in a community, that you belong in a family, and that the context of revival is family. The reason why revival isn't sustained is because you lose family. When things become institutional, people get hurt. And they get hurt in an environment where they can't be loved and restored back into truth. Because you can get hurt in family, but you're in a safe place because the response of love always wins. Love wins. When things become institutional, love goes out the door and you actually become more about a successful structure than you do about a body. And Jesus paid for this. And, and I know like it's, this isn't a, a typical Good Friday message and I, and I love that because I think Jesus wants us to understand, hey man, I paid for something more. If you're coming, you know, if every year we get together in a Good Friday service and we sing these songs of the lamb has overcome, do you know what that means? 
the lamb has overcome, that looks like something in your life. It looks like something. It's real. He didn't just overcome so that we could sing a nice song about him overcoming. He overcame so that you could live in the finished work of the cross. There's got to be a confidence and a boldness restored to the church in his finished work. And guess what? When we talk about his finished work, we're actually talking about his bride. Kalah. Why did he choose to use that word? It's a word specifically used for the bride. And I don't think we can ignore that. I don't think that's something we can just, you know, pass over. We have to go, Lord, you're about community. You're about family. You're about the bride. And, you know, um, I have this, this little, Celeste bought me this gift once, um, and it's a map made out of, like, a cork board thing, and it's got these little pins, and I have it right at the, on the front of my desk, and last night I was looking at this map, and I began to see all the different colors and expressions of the bride across this map, but it was like movement. They were, they were moving, and there was a sound, and all these sounds came together and made one sound, and I began to realize that all across the world right now, even across the road, the bride is getting together to adore Jesus. And they might, they might be different understandings and expressions and maybe, you know, some people experience him more than others because of freedom. And that's okay. God's journeying with all of them, but they're getting together. They're getting together to worship Jesus. They love him and it's beautiful. And I be began to look at that and I prayed this. I said, Lord, I want to love the bride the way that you do. I want you to receive what you paid for. I want to be your great reward. I said, you are magnificent and full of wonder, Jesus. You are fiercely radiant and glorious in splendor, and I want to always behold your lovely face so that I may always inspire the bride to fall deeper in love with you. You are my life's great desire and reason, and I desire for your love to be known. And I feel like when I was praying that, I was like, man, can you picture a community of people that are just so lost in his beauty. They understand what he paid for. They're living for something greater than themselves. They're living for his dream. Their heart is so moved by him. Can you picture that group of people coming together and how incredible it is to see them lay down everything so that they can exalt and glorify Jesus? You can't, you can't break that church because they're not afraid of suffering. They thrive off of it. Because it's not about me, it's not about my life, it's about the bride, it's about Jesus, it's about what he paid for, and my heart is that he would receive his reward. I want to be his greatest reward. And so sometimes you just gotta sit and go through this in your head again and begin to tell yourself this story and read it in the context of romance and love and the bride. Read it and just go, Lord, this, you paid this whole price for this. this is, make sure you understand what he died for and then say, Lord, what is the response of my life for that dream? I really do believe, um, I had an encounter on Monday afternoon after the conference, I was just saying, Jesus, what now? Because wow, it was just amazing. I mean, those of you that were at the conference, I was just so full and just so undone and in love with God that I was like, I don't know, I, don't, I feel like I don't even know what to do. I'm just, I'm, I'm just intoxicated with you. And I was standing in my kitchen and I was making some coffee. And as I was stirring the coffee, I just looked up and I saw these five angels standing in my dining room. And they each had a different color. And they were not like any other angels that I've ever seen. I normally see pretty fierce intense dudes. Some of them are made of drums and they're intense guys. And I saw these angels and they were very, very tender, gentle, quiet angels. 
not very big, uh, but there was five of them, and they each had a different color, and they stood in a specific order. And uh, I said, Lord, why are they here? They weren't talking to me. They weren't saying anything. Like, why are they here, Lord? And uh, he said, uh, they've come to seal what I've done. And I said, what do you mean? And when I looked at these angels, the, what they were made of, it sounds funny, what they were made of was like a waxy substance, actually. And uh, they, they were like candles. They didn't look like candles, but they, I almost want to say it was like they had the personality of candles, but candles don't have personalities. But they were, they were like candles. And I felt like the Lord said they've come to seal. And I had that picture of letters in the past where they would seal it with the wax and stamp it, you know. And uh, I said, okay, Lord, well, how do they do that? And he said to me, they're twirling angels. And I was like, twirling angels? And I had my first awkward moment in the spirit on Monday afternoon because he just stopped explaining. And I stood there and I actually physically could see these guys standing in my dining room. And I'm looking at them and he's not saying anything and they're not saying anything. And I actually chuckled to myself. I thought, this is my first awkward moment in the spirit. Like, I have no idea what's going on. And so I decided to grab my coffee and walk into my dining room. And I just stood there and I was kind of like, I didn't really know what was going on. Stood there and I just closed my eyes and I said, Lord, whatever they're here to do, let them do it. And suddenly as I closed my eyes, I felt the movement that began to twirl around me. And while they started to move, the Lord said to me, they've come to undress and then to clothe. And I said, what do you mean? He said, they're here to make sure you don't put your old rags back on. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? Like, what old rags? He said, well, before I poured out what I poured out this weekend, which is something new for you to walk in, what often happens is you come back to routine and normal life, and because you don't really know what to do with it, you pick up your old rags that you took off, and you put them back on. And then that's why you can have an amazing conference, and a couple weeks later, you find yourself back in that same routine, same struggles, same everything. How many people can relate to that? I know that feeling. And he said, I'm, they've come here to make sure you don't do that. And he said, uh, they're... He said, they minister with a spirit of gentleness and tenderness. And it's not just for you, Connor, or just for 24-7 Church. It's for the bride in Johannesburg. And he said to me, but it's only for those that are sensitive and will actually yield. And it's amazing that they wouldn't move until I actually came and said, okay, Lord, whatever they're here to do, do that. And then suddenly they began to move. And they began to do that. I could feel they were taking off things that I didn't even know I was starting to try and put back on. They were removing old mindsets. And then they began to clothe me in destiny. And this is for all of you, by the way. There were five colors, and they were in a specific order. Um, and I'll be very quick just going through this. I just want to encourage you with it. But there was uh, blue, and then yellow, and then orange, and then green, and then red. And he spoke to me that he was sealing the prophetic that blue was a representation of the prophetic, that we were actually were called to be a prophetic people, and he was making sure we remain in that. And uh, I've had encounters with the Holy Spirit with blue fire that actually uh, just overcame me. I was filled, just possessed with the blue fire of the Holy Spirit. And I recently found out, I got a message from a pastor uh, from the tribe church who said that she's been having encounters with blue fire, same thing, where she gets filled and overflowing. And she sent me a link to another prophet overseas who's been having that. David Hogan's been having that. God's doing something in that. So anyway, that was just really cool. But the blue represented the prophetic and then uh, the yellow represented the glory of God and that we were to remain face to face, to stay in love and to be a beholding people. The orange represented the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. The green represented new beginnings and newness of life. And the red represented the blood of Jesus. And he said to me, if you will allow me to ground you in these five things, you'll stay healthy. 
And I was like, wow, Lord, thank you. And I just began to meditate on those. And then um, Max, she actually had an encounter uh, with these angels after I'd shared it on Monday night. And they came and they began to pour the wax on her. And she said the green was poured over her head, renewed mind, and that it was a new mind, newness of life. And the blue was poured out over her eyes, prophetic, so that she began to see. And the orange, sorry, the yellow was put on her um, shoulders, the glory of God rested on her shoulders. The orange was put on her arms and on her legs, the dunamis power beginning to flow. And the blood of Jesus, the, the red, was actually put on her torso. And uh, I realized that that's, that's essentially what he's doing. That's the picture. He's clothing us in himself. And so what I want to encourage you with is that this is a beautiful time. Like my dad said, the most important weekend, because this is really when we recognize and choose to celebrate, because celebrate is a good thing. It's a good thing to celebrate. We celebrate what he did, but let's make sure that the response of our lives is what he paid for, that we actually become the great reward for him, because we're the bride. And so that was a very, um, not really a typical Easter word, but would you stand? We're going to do communion. Um, and I just felt to, to do it in a different way because we're going we're gonna to recognize the blood and his body and we're going to understand that he did pay a price for us to be free from sin and, and that's huge. And that's where we're going to start. So when you do take communion, you can start there and just say, Lord, thank you for what you did. Thank you that I've been made new, that I've been covered by your blood, that I've been redeemed and made whole and cleansed. And enjoy that. But I want you to also go, Lord, you paid for something also way bigger than my individual little life. You paid the price for your bride. And I'm a part of that bride. And I want you to ask him, say, Lord, as I, as I remember you, would you give me fresh revelation on the bride? Would you give me fresh revelation on the fact that I play a part in what you paid for? And I want to be a part of your great reward. Is that okay? And so you can, I'd love for you to do this in groups, um, not just with your personal family, but actually with your, this family, with the kingdom family. Do you know that this is your family for eternity? That when I get to heaven, I won't be his son anymore. But I got the privilege of being his son. <laughs> I got the privilege of being his son so that I could learn what it means to be the father's son. And so if, this is just a quick thing, I feel like someone needs to hear this. If my personal family becomes an excuse for me not to be a part of the bride, I've missed the point. If I put my personal family before the bride, I've missed the point of why I even have a personal family. I have these relationships to teach me how to be with the family that I'll be with for eternity. So someone needed to hear that, so I just wanted to share that. So you can, uh, so you can start playing anytime. Um, I'd love you to get into groups. Do it with people that you maybe wouldn't normally do it with. Just let's be family. Let's get together and start off by just acknowledging, wow, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me, but thank you for the bride. Thank you that when you said it is finished, you said that you have perfected your bride, you've perfected your family. That's me, that's you, and my life is a part of something bigger, something greater. So you guys are welcome to come and do that. Just come and grab, find space in the room.